This, this morning, I'm going to wrap up part four of our Daniel Dilemma series that we've been on um, we, from most of June, and so we're, we're going to wrap it up today. And if you've missed the previous message, I would encourage you, get on the website, uh, get on the podcast app. You can go and download them. And uh, really, the, um, the heart of this series, if you realize, is pretty simple. It's how do we stand firm? In other words, how do we live according to what the Word of God says is our standard to live by? Because we live in a culture of compromise. What's right for you is right for you, but that doesn't mean it's right for me. Well, God has a standard. It's not my standard. I didn't write the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through men, uh, you know, in past times, if you will, if you want to say it that way. But, you know, the Bible actually says that we are living epistles. In other words, let me say it this way. You're your own book of the Bible. Your life is declaring something about God. And that story is still being written, and it's being written in our life. And so, but we do have a standard. And many times, and as I've shared over the last few weeks, uh, many times what happens is, is that we go one of two ways when it comes to the church. We either go real hard, legalistic, which is that the Bible is true, and if you don't like it, too bad, you're going to hell, and I don't care. <laughs> now, no one would say that, but that is how it comes across. Like self-righteous, yeah. just I'm good and you need to be. But, you know... It's like the, that prayer that Jesus talked about with the Pharisee and the, the sinner in the church. And he, the sinner goes and throws himself on the altar and says, Lord, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm in need. And the Pharisee goes over and says, Lord, I just thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. And, and if we're not careful, we can become that way as the church. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how easy it is to forget what it's like to be lost. Uh, you know, I mean, I try to remind myself often because I don't want to forget what it was like before I was serving the Lord. And, um, you know, and so, but so there's that extreme, but then there's the other extreme, which is, hey, there is no standard and we're going to change the word of God. You know, like, well, the Bible says this and I don't like that. Well, you know, that's just don't worry about that part yeah. or we water it down. Well, I didn't write it. I don't get to change it. God's word is still God's word. And here's the, dan- here's the danger that I see when we really want to water down the word of God. When you water it down, you also water down the power that comes with it. Yeah. Amen. The Bible says is that, it, you know, about the word of God, that it is the, the gospel. The word of God is the power of God unto salvation. And Paul said, that's why I'm not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to back off of what I believe, and I would encourage you not to back off. But you don't have to be a jerk to be godly either. And that's really what the heart of this is. Is how do we stand firm and love well? And how do we keep influence? Because our life is all about influence. You're like, well, you know, I'm not a preacher. No, but you have influence. And I'm going to share some things with you this morning. And God has an expectation that we use our influence for His glory. To point people to Him. It's repeated multiple times throughout Scripture. And so, uh, this morning, last week... We were looking at some things really about, you know, just engaging with culture. How do we do these things? And this morning I want to talk about uh, really the last part of that because we've been talking about how do you stand firm. And we've been looking at the book of Daniel and really the story of Daniel because he was in a very godless society. And yet he still held to his, stuck to his conviction, if you will. And yet God still used him. And he had a, an amazing amount of influence even in a godless society as a godly person. And I believe that that's possible for us as well. And so this morning we're going to look, the title of this message is called The Priority of Love. And uh, so we're specifically going to talk about how to love well this morning. Uh, you know, because that's important. And, uh, you know, many times it's easy for us to lose sight of, of really uh, what God wants us to do. And, and this is one of the most basic elements of Christianity. It really is. 
And yet many times we want to skim over it because it's one of the most difficult things to do. It's easy to preach about. It's easy to talk about. But when life comes, it can get challenging. When things get real, when, you know, somebody gets in your face and you want to push back, how do you respond? That's when this becomes real. So let me read you a verse here. It's the second part of Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing to a specific church. And the last part of the verse says this. He says, the, so Paul has been writing to them. So he said, hey, I've said a lot of stuff to you. But in verse 6, the second part, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. So it's not just about, man, I'm a great man or woman of God and I can believe God and do all these things. If you don't have love, he says that you're missing the, the thing that counts, the thing that really matters is that faith, in other words, our belief in God, our trust in God, expressing itself through a heart and a, of compassion and love, which is the heart of God. It's the heart of the Father and we are to represent him. Uh, you know, just as Jesus came, he said, look, I'm here as God's representative. Well, now we're here as Christ's representative. And we are to represent him well. And, and so, you know, we have to realize that this is what we're called to. We are called as believers to live differently than the culture that we're in. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we kind of live in a hostile environment right now. Yeah. And it's only getting more and more and more. You know, with the kind of the... The emergence of social media, everybody has an opinion and everybody should be heard. And, you know, and if somebody's loud, you just get louder. You know, I mean, you go turn on a news station, half the time they're yelling at each other. Yeah. I mean, Derek, one time, you know, this was years ago, but I was, years and years ago. But I, was, I, would, I would flip from news to ESPN and Derek was like, everything you watch is people yelling. And I was like, I've never thought of that, <laughs> you know, and, but that's, you know, but that's, but it's that culture. I mean, you, you can go look, it's just, you know, if you, you go online and if you cannot get your point across, it's all caps, you know, because then now I'm yelling on, on Facebook or whatever you're having your debate on. And yet, but let me ask you this, at the end of a debate, who does it help? Nobody. What it really does is create an even greater divide. Now, I'm not, now I'm a person who actually loves to debate. I mean, I do. I'm like, let's go. Like, you know, got my guns loaded. Let's, let's do this. But I've also learned that really what happens is that it pushes a relationship apart. I've never had it where I debated with somebody and it actually brought us closer in relationship, friendship. You know, I, I mean, now that doesn't mean, you know, obviously because of what I do, people come and they're like, what does this verse mean? You know, well, I'm going to answer it. Well, why would God say that? Well, I'm not God, first of all, but these are some other verses that kind of maybe help explain that or whatever it may be. But many times we want to win an argument versus winning the person. And that's what happens is that we get so like we want to be right that we forget about the purpose of why we're here, which is to love, to reach people. And so I like this quote that I found. It says, uh, we cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. We cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. Now, you, you can antagonize and influence, but not the way we need to be. Let me say it this way. Is that you can't win enemies to Christ. You have to befriend them. Now, they may, they, they may view you as their enemy. But that just because they view you that way doesn't mean that you should view them that way. You know, we're talking about doing these Bibles for Iran. And most people in, in our minds would be like, man, that's a bunch of Muslim people. 
And that's why they need a Bible. They may, you know, and we all see the videos, death to America. You know, they're chanting and all the things. Yeah, they need the gospel. So just because there may be hate from one, doesn't mean that I need to reciprocate that. Even from the gospel standpoint. I mean, I'm to what? Love people that love hate me. I mean, that's tough. I mean, it's easy to love people that love me. Yeah, you know. (laughs) What about when it's the other way around? You know, the Bible is very clear. Let me show you a couple verses here in John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious elites of the time, and he says, a new command I give you. Now, this wasn't new. They just weren't paying attention to it. So Jesus is saying, well, you didn't listen the first time or the first 50 times. I'm just going to act like it's new again. Here's a new commandment for you. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so, that, um, so you must love one another. Now, in verse 35, he says, by this, by what? By love. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, our culture doesn't know what to do when somebody actually walks in godly love. They really don't. I mean, people, you know, they say that, that, that that's what they want. But when people truly walk in love, they don't know how to respond at all. I mean, I hate you and they're, you know, people, you ever had somebody like antagonize you trying to poke you and prod you, trying to get a reaction out of you? Well, when we don't react and we walk in love, people don't, they're like, well, that was pointless. I was trying to, I was trying to push them to, to their breaking point and they didn't take the bait. And it doesn't mean, and again, this doesn't mean that we're doormats. There is a standard that I'm going to stand up to. No, this is what I believe. And just because you may not believe it doesn't mean that you have the right to tell me what I should or shouldn't believe. Or what people say is okay. The standard that I live my life by. And I don't care where culture may be or what people say is okay or not okay. The Word of God is my standard for my life. And the thing is, is that I can stand here and say that for me, but you have to say that for you. It's very important for you that the Word of God is your standard, not just a standard. It's, it's got to become personal. And if, the, and if the Word of God is your standard, then here Jesus says, look, people are going to know you because, not because of your faith, not because of the miracles that you can do, not because of your giftings, not because of your beauty, not because of your wealth, not because of all these other things, but, you know, your brilliance or, you know, well, I can quote 50 chapters of Psalms. Praise the Lord. Now, those are good things, but it's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is that we live a life that is love. You know, and and, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, and I'll just reiterate it again. Is that many times that we come to church and, and we want to hear a message that is really good and we get fired up, but it requires nothing of us when we leave. Like, oh, Pastor, preach something deep. Like something I don't understand. That way when I leave, I don't, I, I don't really know what to do with that. Right? Because it requires nothing of me when I leave. This message is going to require something of you when you leave. Pretty good chance by the time you eat lunch, you'll probably have an opportunity to apply this. Yeah. I mean, maybe by the time you and your spouse get in the car, you know, before you get out of the parking lot. You might have the opportunity to use this before you walk out those doors. To choose to walk in love. Now I want to make some statements 
and just share a few things with you. And, and it's really going to come, you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And many of you will know these passages. Um, I've shared them many times, but I want to share just some thoughts with you. Really, and we're just going to kind of walk through these first couple of verses here. of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll read a verse here in a second, but I want to make a statement and then I'll share. I'll make a statement and I'm going to show it to you in Scripture and we'll go back and forth. But So without love, number one, all I say is ineffective. Without love, all I say. You know, there's a famous old quote, I think I've shared this with you before, that, and I, used to have, I don't have it in my office anymore. I used to have it for years and years and years in my office. I had it on the end of a bookcase. Is that nobody cares how much I know until they know how much I care. And that's true. If you're going to reach people, they got to know that you actually care about them, not just about proving your point. And that's important. So, in all that I, or without love, all that I say is ineffective. I said this in a variation a moment ago, is that it's not just about winning arguments, it's about winning people's hearts. We are in the people business. We, not just me, we are in the people business. We are called to love other people and to point them to Christ, who is ultimate perfect love. Now, our love is not perfect, but we should be, we should be striving. We should be aiming to, what, to be like Christ. Now, here in verse 1 of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I do not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making a bunch of racket. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, we don't have a drummer currently, but have you ever been somewhere where the drummer's like just smacking the cymbals? And you're like, can you just lay off the cymbals a little bit? Yeah. Like, it is, you're just killing me. Like, as I said earlier, I was a sound guy for years, so I would tell the drummer, stop hitting the cymbals. You're just, just <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm like, it's just, oh, that's, and he's, what does he say? He says, even, even if I spoke the words of an angel, I mean like the words of heaven, <laughs> but do not have love, I'm just making a bunch of racket. So all we say without love is ineffective. We can be brilliant. I mean, we can say all the right things, know all the right answers, be able to answer every question, but if it's not filled with a heart of love, it's not going to change that person's life. That's just knowledge. Ephesians 4.15 says this. <clears throat> says instead that we are to speak the truth in love. When we've talked about this in grace and truth. We talked about that week one. That Jesus was full of grace and truth. It wasn't one or the other. You don't have to compromise one to have. No. They're together. You know I, I think it was week one or week two. I don't remember now. But is that grace with truth is good medicine. It's good medicine. Truth without grace is just mean, right? Remember this? Remember me saying this? Grace without truth is what? Meaningless. What's the point? Truth sets you free, but grace is what enables us. And so this is important for us to know this, but he says, speaking the truth in love, why? So that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In other words, if we will walk in love one with another as a church, we will all grow in our knowledge, in our uh, ability, and our walk with the Lord. We will actually become more mature if we'll walk together. I mean, just inside this room, 
just us, not, out, not the people that we work with, not the people in our neighborhood, not the people we really don't like. I mean, I'm talking about just the people in the church. He's talking to the church here, and he says, if you'll speak the truth in love, people will grow. And that's important, and we need to understand this. Verse 29 says this, of the same chapter of Ephesians 4. He says, um, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, this takes wisdom. Why? Because you might be trying to help with somebody with a problem they don't even know they got. And it says, and as it says here, what does it say? It says, building them up according to their need. In other words, you're going to have to have some wisdom. Can I have this conversation with this person now or not? Maybe they're not ready for this conversation. Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. Help me tell them what they need to hear, not just what I want to say. I know nobody does that but me, but... Man, I've been waiting for six months to test this. Maybe you need to ask the Lord, is it time? And he may say yes. Now's the time. But he may say, well, he... See, unwholesome talk could also be talking about somebody else to somebody else. That's unwholesome too, by the way. We call it gossip, but... He said, so only let your words be what? For the building up of others. And it says that it may benefit those who listen. See, there's got to be this motivation behind our words that's full of God's love for people. And it's a motivation. We can be right and be wrong. We can be right in what we say and wrong in our approach, wrong in the motive of our heart. So we have to realize that everything that we say, every word that we say is either building or tearing down. Proverbs says that life and death are in the tongue. We're either speaking words that build or words that tear down. And it's up to us, those words that we use. If you want to have a strong marriage, start talking right. You want to have a strong family. You need to watch how you're, what, communicating to one another. And it's easy through just getting used to somebody. I mean, co-workers. It's easy. Well, we worked together for 15 years. Yeah, but does that mean that you just get to pop off and say what you want to them? I mean, here the, I mean, this is so challenging. Let no unwholesome talk. I got some work to do. I don't know about you, but I got some work to do. That's challenging. Why? So that everything I say would benefit those who would hear it. I mean, that's a weighty statement. So without love, all that we say is ineffective. Here's the next one. Without love, all that I know is insignificant. Doesn't matter. Our knowledge, all the things that we have understanding of. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and have all knowledge. Got all these things. Now remember, he's talking about love. He's talking about loving people. He says, though I have all of these things, I am nothing. I understand all mysteries. Like, I'm a genius. Like, I've got it all figured out. But if without love, he says, hey, you're nothing. 
1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We would be better off as believers, not necessarily, look, and there's nothing wrong with, with understanding Scripture. We ought to. We ought to be reading our Bibles. We ought to be applying Scripture to our life. We ought to be committing it to memory even. You're like, well, why would I do that? Because when you need it, it'll come out. If you invest it when you need it the most, the Word will come out. Yes. And that's also how you protect those unwholesome things coming out of your mouth. Is you got to put the Word in so that that comes out, not the... Yes. See, they are related, but... But knowledge in and of itself can puff up. But yet love will build up. Without love, the third one, all I believe is insufficient. So all your faith. It's just insufficient. It's not enough. Well, I can pray and I can make the heavens rain. Great. But what about love? This same part of the, the second part of, of verse 2 says that if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. Now over in James chapter 2, this won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read you a couple verses. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if I claim to have faith, but I have no deeds? If I have no love? If I have nothing to support what I claim and call to be uh, truth for me? Verse 17 says this, of that same chapter in James 2. He says, In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's pointless. It's useless. It comes to nothing. Verse 20 says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless? Now, faith without deeds, how many of you realize that love is an action? It is a deed. I mean, it's a choice that we make. Love does. Love doesn't watch. Right? I mean, here in James chapter 2, it actually says, if you see somebody who's in need and says, man, it's cold, the Lord warm you up. How many of you know that's not really love? Of course, I realize it's July and it's 100 degrees outside. Probably not the best illustration, but that's what the Bible talks about there. No, he says, look, to love somebody means to actually help them. Not just to, I'll pray for you and cruise on by. Lord bless you, Lord keep you. No, I mean, love acts, love moves, you know. And and so, even in the area of our belief, our faith, if we're not careful, we can lose sight and think, oh, well, if I'm just believing God enough. There's There's truth there, and it's not that we're throwing those things away. But the most important thing is love. Loving others, loving each other. Here's another one. Without love, all that we give is incomplete. All that we give is incomplete. You can give all your stuff away and be like, man, I'm so godly. Well, no. What was the motive behind it? I mean, motive really matters. Verse 3, beginning of verse 3 says, If I give all that I possess to the poor, but I do not love, I gain nothing. Here's the last one of these. Without love, all that I accomplish is inadequate. See, the Bible talks about that there's really two types of judgment that are going to occur when Jesus returns. Number one is, am I going to heaven or hell? That one's really, that was decided by Christ, but we have to receive it, right? But you know, once we get to heaven, the Bible says that there is called the great white throne judgment. 
Now, that's not a, am I going to be in heaven or hell? No, that's going to be the, where the rewards are handed out. And it's not about what we've accomplished. Like when I stand before God, he's not going to look at me and say, David, how did you pastor that church? How did you, how did, you know, did you build me buildings? How many people were there that, you know, yesterday, you know, or whatever? What he's going to want to know is how did I treat people? How did I influence people? Well, the same is true for you. It's not about what we accomplish. It's not about what we do. It's about the lives that we impact. Well, the greatest way that we impact people is primarily with our influence. Do we bring people closer to Christ? Let me say it this way for an about. We make people curious about Jesus. Like when people get around us, are they like, man, there's something different about you. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I knew it. I knew there was something If you have to tell people you're a Christian, you might need to take some inventory. And I don't mean that judgmentally. I mean that sincerely. I mean, when I got saved, which I was almost 17 years old, my best friend knew that that something had happened in me. And he was like, you're different. And I kind of played dumb. And then he began to tell me how bad I was. I was like, I ain't that bad. I wasn't that bad. And he was like, oh... No, no, you were. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah. And he began to tell me. Now this was a guy who really had no spiritual background, knew nothing. But he knew something had changed. And the thing was, he didn't necessarily point to just what I said. He didn't, that was one of the things. He's like, you talk differently. But one of the biggest things that he really talked about was that I acted differently. My actions were different. I can say all the right things, but still not really be able to reach into people and to really help people. The second part of verse 3 says, um, says, if I give all I have to possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast. Another translation says, if I gave my body over to be burned. No, I got burned at the stake. He said that I may boast, but do not love. I gain nothing. See, life minus love is nothing. Zero, zip. I mean, the Bible says that we will stand before God and our whole life will be put on the scale. And what? He will judge it. And he says things are going to be burned up and things are going to remain. Our whole life could be vaporized in a second. Like the substance, the weight of it. I want to break the scale in heaven when that happens. Like there's so much that I'm like, God, I sent, I I loved people well. I mean, to the best of my ability. I know it wasn't perfect, but man, I tried really hard. Because of the love of God. And the Bible says that if you're saved, the love of God is in you. So I'm not asking you to do anything that's not already in you. It's there. But you have to choose to walk in it. Now the remainder of these verses, these are, if you've been around here very much, you've probably heard me share these verses. We actually have little cards out there on the intro entry table. Where it takes these next four verses, verses four through eight. And I took everywhere that it says love and I put in I. Because it's a confession. I endure long, and I am patient, and I am kind. Like, you start saying that, if you don't have one of those, I would encourage you to get one. You're like, I can't do this. Start confessing that over your life. Start making it personal. So this is, I'm not going to read that that we've used many times, but I want to read these verses. It says that love is patient. Most of us have already gotten derailed right there, especially myself, because I'm not the most patient person in the world. It says love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. That's something our culture could use. Really could. From, and I, I'm not saying that from any slant. I mean our nation as a whole. We've lost the ability to honor people. In many ways. Because you have one person that will honor and then the other person is tearing them down just as quickly. We shouldn't be like that as believers. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of, of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices when, uh, with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Now the Amplified would add this. God's love in us never fails. None of us are perfect. This isn't, that's not the purpose of this message. But it is to bring us an awareness that we are called to what? To love well. Jesus loved well. I mean, Jesus loved so well that sinners came to him. They didn't run from him. The religious people didn't like Jesus. But, I mean, that's why he had a reputation. He eats with drunks and prostitutes and all these people. You're not supposed to be around those people. And yet they were comfortable with him. But Jesus didn't compromise at all. We know that from Scripture. The Bible says he was perfect. Never made a mistake. But yet, people were still... Let me say it this way. Jesus was touchable to people. He wasn't up on his high horse, looking down and judging people. That's that's not who he was. He loved well, and we're called to love well. Now I want to give you an example from the book of Daniel... And this is coming out of Daniel chapter 6, just a couple of verses here. You know, this whole series has been kind of focused around Daniel and his life and really this pagan environment, this godless society. And, you know, we've looked at uh, various accounts throughout the, uh, really the beginning parts of the book of Daniel in these last couple of weeks together. But I want to show you a couple of things and just kind of show you some of the end, if you will, or more towards the end of Daniel's story. But it says in verse 1, uh, says it pleased Darius, who was over the kingdom at the time, to appoint 120 satraps, basically they were local leaders, to rule throughout the kingdom, and three administrators over them. So, you know, kind of think of it like our city. We have like city council people, and you got mayors, right? So there's like a chain of command. That's basically what's happening here. And it says that one of these three administrators, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel is pretty high up the chain. Now, he's a slave in a foreign country. Serving a different God. Now, he obviously had an amazing amount of favor. But it says, uh, goes on here. said the satraps were more accountable to them. Um, or were made accountable to them. Um, so that the king would not suffer loss. Verse 3 says, now Daniel so distinguished himself. Daniel set himself apart. He lived in such a way that there was a difference between him and everybody else. Among the other administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities. You know, we're, we're called to live exceptionally. And that doesn't mean like, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. That's not what I mean by exceptional. What I mean is that we walk in a way of loving people that the world has not seen. I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me the question, like, how come we don't see miracles in America? I'm convinced this is part of why. Because we want to make a show out of it. The motivation isn't really in the right place. 
It's not from a heart of, of love and compassion to really see God work in somebody's life. It's we want to, oh, did y'all hear about what happened at our church? That's the motivation. Not, man, that person got healed. Praise God. We want to, you know, plaster it on our sign out front. Miracles and healings are happening, you know. And I'm not, you know, y'all know what I mean by that. But it's not just, man, we want to we see God move in somebody's life. So Daniel here, it says that he distinguished himself with exceptional qualities. It doesn't mean that Daniel was just, you know, and I'll, I'll just show you this here in a moment. Because we'll see what these exceptional qualities were. This is, uh, so Daniel distinguished himself so that, uh, with exceptional qualities that the king had planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It says, at this time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct. The exceptional qualities were not in some external sense. They were his convictions. And they set out and said, man, we're going we're gonna to find a loophole for Daniel. They done tried this once and threw him in the lion's den, right? They're like, oh, well, we can't find anything wrong, but we know he's going to pray. So if we just make praying illegal, we can get him. Well, then God keeps him. God protects him. So here they are again because why? The king is saying, hey, it's time for Daniel to get promoted, man. This guy's got it going on. And it, so it ruffles some feathers. So we've got to find some way. So they wanted to find grounds against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. So specifically, they're going to look at his job. Is Daniel skimming some off the top? Is he taking some, you know, is he getting a kickback over here? Like, they're looking for a way to kind of trap Daniel. Because in a sense, what they're really saying is, nobody's this good. Nobody is really has, has just, is that way. So they were looking in their government affairs, and they were unable to do so. How nice would that be today? We did a full investigation into some leader of our nation, and they're like, we can't find nothing. Sadly, that would be the rare exception, I believe, today. Unfortunately. And yet they did a full investigation in Daniel, and they're like, man, we can't find anything on this guy. It says they found no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. So that was their findings. It says in verse 5, it says, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so the administrators and the satraps went to the kings and said, May King Darius live forever. They just gave up. Here's Daniel. Because the thing that you know and that you see throughout Daniel, he's never rude. He's never disrespectful. He never is, is self-promoting. He's none of those things. Daniel is living his life according to his convictions. God is with him. God is for him. And he continually gets promoted throughout this pagan environment. Why? Because he refused to compromise. Even to the point where they're like, man, this guy's got to have something. There's got to be something that we can find in him. And yet they finally just came to the conclusion there's just nothing. There's nothing that we can find about him that we could take him down with. You know, and, and so even as we deal with people, that ought to be our goal. Is that we want to live lives that don't have compromise in them. Why? Because compromise will come out. It will be seen. That's not a threat. It's just true. I mean, what we try to hide, the Bible says, will be what? Shouted from the rooftops. <laughs> Yay. And yet, we are to live well. We're to love well. 
So even in dealing with other people, we have to be careful in how we approach and how we deal with them. So I want to give you three things that I believe you can do today. Today, tomorrow, when you're dealing with people, as you approach people, there's three things that I believe that you can do to love them well. Three areas, three simple things. None of them are hard, but, but they are things that you can do. The first one is to, to serve them. The Bible says that we are to think more highly of what? Not of ourselves, but of other people. In other words, put people above myself. I should always strive to what? Not try to get myself first. Prefer other people. Put them first. Think about them first. I think I shared this a few weeks ago, but one of the things that I've been endeavoring to do for some time now is that when somebody like responds in a, in a harsh way towards me, is to not take it personally and think, I wonder what they're going through. Why? Because I could get offended by it. I could take it personally. Or I can just have compassion and say, man, they, there must be something else because I didn't deserve that. You ever had somebody like jump at you and you're like, I didn't, like, why are you talking to me like that? Yeah. I didn't deserve that. But if you can have it with, what, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to put you before me. So you, you may not even say it to them. It's just like, man, I, I just need to pray for them. They're obviously facing, dealing with some things. They're under a lot of stress. I don't know what's going on. So you serve them. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. He says, though I am free. In other words, I can do whatever I want. He says, and I belong to no one. I'm not a slave of anybody. I'm a free man. He says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Another translation says this way. I have become all things to all men that I might win some. I become all things to all men that I might win some. That doesn't mean that I become like them, but it does mean that I, I find a common ground to where now what I have an opportunity to share Christ into their life. You know, I've said this in many ways, not just during the series, but it's just something that, that I, it's kind of a core belief of mine in, in really interacting with other people is that, uh, is that Jesus connected before he ever corrected people. He would always try to make an attempt to connect with people. So in other words, don't go make heavy-handed statements to somebody you ain't got a relationship with. Don't go protest with your big picket signs. I know, I don't know that any of y'all have ever done that, but you know what I mean by that. Turn or burn, you're going to hell. You know, those types. Guess what? That doesn't work. There's no relationship there. It's just not. And Jesus did this over and over and over. You go look at the story of Zacchaeus. How many of you know who Zacchaeus was? He was a wee little man. Little man was he? You know what I'm talking about? Y'all want to sing the song? (laughs) Let's just break it down into modern day terminology. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a thief. Wanted to see Jesus, but he was small, short, in stature. So he climbed up in a tree. Jesus didn't look at him and go, you're a thief. He said, hey, let's have lunch. And what happened as a result of that lunch is Zacchaeus comes out and starts giving all this money back to people. Now, I don't know what was said, but Zacchaeus changed. Why? Because Jesus had lunch with him. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Come down. And the result of that, so Jesus obviously had said something that convicted him. And he realized, I'm a thief. And he started giving all this money back. That was the result. So we want to connect with people. 
And if you think of it in the, in the, from the standpoint of you're serving them, it will help you do that. Number two is to set an example for them. Set an example. Now, that's kind of a two-edged sword because you're like, I don't want to be, I don't want anybody, nobody should be following me. I'm not a really good example. Okay. None of us have been. So you just start saying, okay, Lord, what do I, where do I start? What do I need to begin working on? What, what areas do I need to start getting in agreement with your word, your will for my life? In Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 verses 13, I'm going to read um, through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, uh, Dara showed me something this week. I tried to find out if I could pull it back up. I won't get it quite right, but I saw this little funny statement or thing that somebody put on Facebook or something. I don't remember what it was, Instagram or whatever. And uh, it was like, most Christians are salty instead of being salt. Now, how many, like, I'm just curious, she's not in here, she'll probably hear. How many of you know what the term salty means? Salty means you're kind of gruff, like, you know, you're just kind of got an attitude. That's what salty means. You just kind of got this attitude. And many Christians kind of have that, and yet we're called to be salt, but the right amount of salt. I mean, you ever cook something and you put too much of one ingredient in it? Remember one time Dara made some red beans and rice for us? And she thought it said like, um, I think it was three tablespoons of cayenne pepper. And it was supposed to be teaspoons, not tablespoons. Uh, you know, I was trying to power through it. And she was like, you really don't have to eat that. And I'm like, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it was, whew, just pouring sweat, you know. I mean, just holy cow. A little too much. I mean, I like heat. That was a little too much. But many times, we're giving people, we're called to be salt. We are to be different. I mean, I like salt. I prefer to have salt. Give me some chips. They need salt. Like, what's, what's the point of unsalted chips is like unsweet tea? There's no point. Just throw it out. <laughs> this is totally off subject, but have you, any of y'all seen this? How do you drink sweet tea? And it's pouring it down the drain. That's, that's, that's me. So anyhow, let me, get back on, let me get back to some scripture here. Verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. Now think about this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now he's looking at his disciples saying, you are the light of the world. He says, a town built on a city or a a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it uh, on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. So let me say it this way. Let your love shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Really what that's saying is, let people see your love walk so that they will come to believe in God so that they will now glorify God. It's a process. They're not just saying that, oh, well, you know, God's good and he's faithful and all these. No, he's saying God's working in, through you. And, and that makes me want to be better. The third one is this, and this is very important, is share Christ with them. We want to make sure that everything that we do, that we're not just pleasant people. We want to make sure that we're loving people well, but we want to share Christ. That doesn't mean that you shove it down their throat like, hey, I'm glad that, you know, you go to lunch with them. You're going to invite me to your church, aren't you? 
You're going to ask me, accept Jesus? No, I just want to get to know you. Like, that's how we do this. But there will come a point where you'll have an opportunity. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, he says, In your hearts, revere the Lord. So worship the Lord. Love the Lord. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone or to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the, the hope that you have. So in other words, you need to be able to explain to somebody why you believe in Jesus. Why do you believe this? You ought to be able to, to communicate that. He says, but do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to give an account for what you hold to, but do it with gentleness and respect. He says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed by their slander. We ought to love so well that it's embarrassing when people try to insult us. When they try to say things against who we are. You know, there's a, a famous quote by, um, it was a priest, his name was St. Francis of Assisi, and he said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and if you have to, talk. Like, we can preach the word of God by our lifestyle. That's the most effective, influential part of who we are. It's the greatest tool that we have to reach people with the gospel. And we do it by loving them. But love has to be shown. It can't just be said. I mean, just because somebody tells you they love you doesn't mean that they love you. But when somebody shows you that they love you, it communicates. I want to read you one last verse as we're wrapping up this morning. And it comes out of Romans chapter 5. Verse 8, it says that God demonstrates. God demonstrates his love. For us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. See, God didn't just tell us that he loved us. He showed us. And that's what we need to do with people. We need to show them as well. Not just tell them, hey, you know, whatever it may be. But really show people that you care. Be reliable. Like when they need you, be there for them. Like really be there for them. Not just loosely, but really show up. When someone asks you to pray for them, really pray for them. When you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to pray for you, pray for them. What I've started doing, and I've been doing this for a number of years now, is when I say I'm going to pray for you, I just do it right then. Even if I'm not with them. I mean, a lot of people will call me and say, hey, you got this going on, could you pray? I'm just like, sure, I'm going to pray right now. Because why? Now I don't have to try to remember like, oh, later I need to pray for them. No, I'm going to do it right now. If I'm with them, I'm saying, can we pray right now? A lot of people are like, well, what do you mean? Like, can I pray right now? Uh, it's awkward for them. Why? Because people don't do it that much anymore. And yet, do we believe in prayer? I mean, like, really? Because if we really believed in it, we would do it. We believe that it can make a difference. And so, you know, I, and I love, and I'll say this, is that even about this, it says that God demonstrated his love while we were still sinning. In other words, before we ever responded to God, he loved. He showed love before we ever even remotely looked to him. And so this morning, you may be here.